Well, praise the Lord, Church of Omaha. Why don't we clap our hands to the Lord all over this place? He's great and greatly to be praised. Amen, 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 amen. I'm so thankful to be here uh, with you all for our first word this morning. And I want to thank you for making it a priority to be here, uh, to be present here and in this place. And I do want to thank you for, for those of you who faithfully join us online. In Jesus' name, we continue to pray for you. Amen. Um, how many of you are thankful to be in the uh, uh, house of the Lord this morning? Amen. I, I know I am, right? Right? Well, we can give God some praise for that. I love, I love getting to come together, uh, getting to come together with those of like precious faith, and I love being built up by others as well as building others up. Amen? In the most holy faith. This morning, I come to you with what some uh, may feel as a as an interesting topic, if you will, uh, also, but also some that, or one that some may look over, if you will, um, and, and maybe not give it much thought. But before I get into the, uh, the topic, that I want to turn your attention to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and let's go ahead and stand for the reading of the word, if you're able to this morning. I'll give us just a few moments to turn there. I'm also going to go to the book of Hebrews 13 and just give you a few seconds in Jesus' name. Philippians, first, uh, Philippians 4, beginning with verse number 6, says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Notwithstanding ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. And turning over to Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake me. Forsake thee, excuse me. And as you're closing your Bibles and taking your seats, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your word. I thank you for this time that we can come together and learn more about you, your word, and how we can apply these truths to our daily lives. Lord, right now I take captive every thought and bring them all into your obedience. I tear down and destroy every stronghold that attempts to bind your church. I release your wisdom and understanding throughout this place. Help me, Lord, to be nothing more and nothing less than a vessel for you and what you desire for your church. In Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Self-sufficiency, sufficiency as a whole, being satisfied in God's fullness. The inward sufficiency, which is just as valid in low times as it is in high times. Positive 
self-sufficiency, or inward adequacy, that which comes through the indwelling power of Christ. Self-sufficiency which is entirely God-produced. If I were standing up here this morning hosting a, what may be a commonly known game show called Jeopardy, as the host, I would do just as I did and give a sentence or a definition just as I did. And while we are certainly not on a game show this morning, no surprise there, no worries, I began today with what is the definition of the answer that I am looking for. What is the answer? Well, answering as they would, it would be, what is contentment? What is contentment? And the passages we just read, as well as a host of others that we will reference, I, I want to teach and preach specifically about contentment, the discipline thereof, principles, and the lessons we find about contentment in Scripture. Amen. As we read moments ago, Paul said it this way in Philippians 4.11, For I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Now, Paul did not learn contentment from living what we could relate to as the American dream. He didn't have a nice lawn. He didn't have a nice car. He didn't have the perfect house. He didn't have a great amount of money. He really didn't have any of those things. Contentment in its purest form comes from God, not our circumstances. On the opposite side, discontentment is sin. Why? Because it stems from pride. It stems from rebellion. And lastly, but certainly not least, it stems from a fruit of unbelief. You see, Western society as we may have seen it, feeds on discontent. You might see children who aren't happy because they don't have, or unless they have the latest toy, the latest advertised toys thereof. Uh, the man of the house may feel uneasy driving a gas-powered vehicle because all of the real men drive diesel trucks. Society can make a woman feel self-conscious and dissatisfied with their looks, their hair, their color, their weight, or anything else naturally occurring in themselves. Even the young men have become consumed with fashion consciousness. Now, before I go any further, what I am not saying is that you can't have a nice car, you can't have a nice house, you can't have a, a nice lawn, but as you may have guessed, or maybe not, contentment will never stem from those things. Your contentment in everything, those things I just mentioned included, must come from the Lord. The culture that we see around us every day is built on consumerism. This is that which is the constant pursuit for something new. This has nothing to do with what is better. In the rush for newness or coolness, people will, will throw out things that are still functional and serve their purpose well. Rather than asking the question of, does it still serve a purpose? The question becomes, is the color in? The latest fashion trends come and go. And they are seemingly, they, 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 they seem to cycle 
back through every few years. You, you may have noticed. But contentment and those who are content stand out in a crowd. They are that peculiar people. They are the people who have been called from darkness and into his marvelous light. Satisfaction is such a rare thing that people often pause and take note. While contentment is not simply a discipline, it is the evidence of deeper disciplines in one's life. Consumerism was around even in Jesus' day. And it was killing contentment. Jesus taught us and those who were listening to stop thinking about it. He commanded us to not be anxious or worried with problems. He commanded specifically in Matthew 6.31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Don't worry about it so much, he says. I've got you taken care of. In the very next verse, Jesus says, speaking briefly on the problem of consumerism, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek, he said. But God's people, he gave the promise, verse 32, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. You see, to be content, we must first realize that our provider knows our needs. That he has, he has an awareness that, hey, I've got this need. I've got this worry here. I've got something that I need your provision for. You, you are the provider of all of my needs, even those that I may not mention to you. We can rest assured that, that someone who loves us is, is looking out for us. We do not have to live in desperation. Instead of seeking the latest trend or, or worrying about the, the daily necessities, we should seek first the kingdom of God, verse 33, and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And while it may not seem like a possible thing for you to do, it is important to strive. It is important to reach and it's important to keep from worrying. In fact, so much so as to give up on worrying altogether. You so every, every once in a while, I get a chuckle out of the words that Jesus spoke when he asked, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Because quite the opposite happens. When, when worry just sits there and it's not managed or it's not dealt with. Life can physically be shortened by the effects of worry, by the effects of stress, by the effects of all these things that we may go through and don't deal with as we need to. Jesus also tells his listeners not to worry about tomorrow for, everybody say today, today has enough troubles of its own. And that's in that same passage in Matthew 6, in case you were wondering. But, but many people know the command to not worry about tomorrow, but they struggle with how to do that. How am I not supposed to worry about that? How, how am I not supposed to think about what's going to happen? How, how am I not supposed to worry about that bill that I can't pay? How am I not supposed to worry about my next meal? 
How am I not supposed to worry about if I have a job tomorrow? All these things that could have potential worry. The key to contentment is, is the discipline of humility. Humility. Humble people are content in whatever situation they find themselves. Okay? This, this is not to suggest that humble people are lazy. Humble people aren't lazy. Or, or that they will never seek to better themselves. You know, if you've got an opportunity at your job to, to get a promotion and you've sought the Lord and you've sought counsel and you receive that promotion, that's a blessing from the Lord. So humble people are not lazy. Humble people aren't outside of those, those things that maybe those people that are not humble receive. But Peter wrote in his first epistle regarding humility, beginning with in the, about the middle of verse 5, chapter 5, which will be on the screen behind me. He says, be clothed with humility, the second part there. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that who? That he may exalt you in due time. Casting your cares, all your care, upon him, for he cares for you. Humbleness, as Peter writes, is, is done by casting your cares upon him. Casting those things. You know what it means to cast something? If I have a stone in my hand, or as I just had that, that rag in my hand, it means literally to throw it his way. Some of us need to throw it a little further because we tend to go over and, and pick that back up again and say, I'm just not quite done with that. I'm still a little worried about that. But God wants us to throw it so far toward Him. And, you know, we, we've got to be close to Him. But to toss it so far from Him that we can't even get to it. So far with Him that, that He gets to it before we do because He's the one that provides that need. He's the one that will take care of that worry. But you've got to make sure that you've, you've, ca you've got to cast it His way. You've got to, you've got to throw it his way and when you throw it his way to not go and pick it back up again because again there, there's again there's this tendency to just I'm going to throw this I'm going to believe you Lord but, but wait 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 what about this that's another stone to cast his way well what about that cast that stone his way too well what if this happens no cast that at him too cast all your cares cast all your worries Cast all your struggles, cast everything on him, for he cares for you. You see, humility does not hold a self-image. And I, and, I, and I spoke about this a few Wednesdays ago because it, it, its concern is with others. Humility's concern is with others. Therefore, humility can be content in every situation. Humility seeks the good of others, while pride seeks self. Furthermore, pride cannot exist with contentment. Some of the most contented people are often those who have given up the most. They have learned to be content having little to nothing. They've learned to be content with having little to nothing, not because... They would not enjoy all of that fluff. They wouldn't enjoy all those nice things. But, but they have realized that those things are not essential to live a life of contentment. 
You see, Paul was one of those who left everything for the cause of Christ. He left everything behind. He even left his old vision behind. Why do you think he was blinded on the road to Damascus? He, he had an old way of thinking. He had an old way of seeing. And, and God had to, had to blind him to renew his vision, to renew his mind. And renew his mind, he did. Paul never turned back again. He realized, whoa, I was, I, I, the way I was living was an error. So Paul experienced this. He, he, he experienced this because he left everything for Christ. And from him, we, we have what we can see, five principles, five principles for contentment. The first principle is do not be anxious. When we read from the, living, the New Living Translation, the first part of Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. One key to contentment in life, again, is to not worry. To worry is to attempt to play God without his power. When we read this verse telling us to, to not be anxious or to not worry, we can sometimes find ourselves a bit taken aback because it is that which is a very common problem. Worry, confusion, pressures of daily life, uncertainty about the future. If we, if we took the time to catalog these specific uh, aspects uh, with these general categories, we would soon run out of space with all these things that have potential to worry that we have potential to worry about. You see, depression is one of the, the most common emotional struggles in America today, and one of the most difficult in which to deal with. Anxiety, in the way Paul is using the term, and the way we most often experience it, is the futile, frustrating, debilitating attempt to bear the burdens of life, and especially of the future, by ourselves, alone. When someone attempts to deal with these burdens alone, many times they can find themselves spiraling downward and the spiral of, of negative thinking and eventually struggling to find their way out. They get so lost in their thoughts that they don't know how to get out. They go through life with all of this worry and all of this concern and all of this terror and all this anxiety and all these terrible thoughts that continue to captivate them. And they attempt again to continue to handle this alone. But finding ourselves back here and jumping back to the words of Jesus who said, Take no thought. Tomorrow is going to come, but one thing is for sure, it's not here yet, and by the time tomorrow comes, guess what? It's today. Being anxious notates a, you know, being anxious for nothing notates, okay God, I'm, I'm going to hand this over to you. I can be anxious about, I can't be anxious about this any longer. I, I, when I become anxious, I must turn to you. I must cast my anxieties on you, for you care for me. I must realize that, that you have it under control, Lord. So, so here it is. Here's my anxiety. Which leads right into the next principle of contentment. And that is to pray for needs. Instead of praying, oh God, I have no idea how I'm going to make it. We can choose to pray, Lord, I thank you for taking care of this. Oh, we may feel to pray, God, I need your patience right now. And while God does hear that prayer, may we pray for that need with a thankful heart saying, Lord, you know that I'm at my wit's end, but I thank you for giving me the patience 
to get through this. I thank you for being the supplier of all of my needs. I thank you for providing for this need that I have and for the needs that I will have to come. You will see me through this, followed by spending time in thanksgiving, often remembering what the Lord has brought you through in the past. You see, panic-stricken prayers can leave a person feeling more hopeless after praying than before. If you noticed in verse 6, if you'll put that back on the screen, Philippians uh, 4, 6, the command is to do not be anxious or be careful for nothing. But do not be anxious is given first. And then pray. While you may feel anxious, pray with faith. First, casting your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Faith says, Lord, I'm feeling overwhelmed right now, but I know that you understand my need before I even mention it. My problems are your problems because I am your child. Thank you for carrying me through this situation. Sister Alicia, you and I were talking Wednesday night about this very thing. And I won't go into all the details, but I will suffice it to say that you ended by saying in one way or another, he sees the desires of your heart. He sees your wants, your needs. He knows your needs and he cares for them. He's listening. Church, sometimes I feel that we limit ourselves in our prayers to God. Because we don't think he wants to listen to it. And my heart hurts. Because sometimes I've found myself doing that. Like I pick and choose what I want to pray for when God wants us to give him everything. We don't think he's going to give us the time of day. We don't think that, you know, that, what we have, that, that what we have need of is important enough to the Lord. But allow me to break that up just a little bit. That's false. That's fake news. I don't know who told you that God does not want to hear about your needs. But you can point them in my direction the next time they tell you that. Your need that you bring to God, God will give just as much attention to the person sitting next to you and their need. And here's the thing, and I think part of the reason why we limit ourselves in what we bring to God, and I know I'm going out into left field just a little bit, but stick with me. We look at these prayers. We, we look at our needs, these requests from, from our point of view, how, how we see them. And Number one, we, think, we don't think that God hears. Ah, he didn't hear that prayer. He didn't, he didn't hear that. Number two, we don't think that he can answer them. And number three, we don't think that it's really as important as we thought it was before. So here's what I want to tell you about prayer. Prayer for that need. Pray for that need and allow God to lead you. Pray for every need, no matter how big or how small. Bring it all to the Lord. Bring it all to the Lord. Every, every word, every dotted I, every cross T, every thought, everything. Bring it all to the Lord in prayer. And as you pray, remember to pray with thanksgiving. 
which is the third principle we are given. You may find yourself asking, well, why am I going to pray with thanksgiving for something that hasn't happened yet? And to give the short answer to that, when you pray with thanksgiving for, for something that has not, excuse me, for something that has not yet come to pass, you are praying in expectation. When you thank the Lord for something that hasn't happened yet, that's an expectant prayer. You are praying with an expectation that it will come to pass, even though you haven't seen it yet. We can find many, 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 many different times in Scripture where people have prayed in expectation. And one that caught my attention is that which David wrote in Psalm 5, beginning with verse number 1. He says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Everybody say, look up. Look up. <laughs> when we read that phrase, look up, that can be translated as looking forward or looking forth to what he will say or what he will do. To literally look out and wait. I'm praying this prayer with expectation, and now I'm waiting for you, Lord. <laughs> waiting in expectation, but more importantly, waiting with thanksgiving. Lord, you've already taken care of that need. I'm waiting for you, Lord. I'm going to wait on the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, something else about waiting on the Lord. The Bible says, wait on the Lord, and he shall renew your strength. So when we're waiting on him, we're not relying on our own strength, Brother, Brother Jeff. We're not relying on the strength that we have. We're relying on that supernatural strength because it's not me that's going to get me from point A to point B. No, it's only the Lord that can get me there. And it's only his strength. So, so when, we, when we wait on the Lord, it's not just me standing here saying, okay, I prayed the prayer, now what? No. It's having that expectancy through your, through your day, through, through the night, through the day, until it comes to pass. And here's the thing, because this is kind of where the rubber meets the road for me. There have been times where I've, where I've wavered in my prayers to the Lord for, for a healing in my body. Because the healing hasn't happened yet. And you better believe that there are more days where it's frustrating because I have a high blood sugar and it just can't seem to come down. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, there, there's some times where I get a little frustrated. And I'm like, why is this happening? But then I remember. But then I remember after I get done with all of my fluff that I've got to wait on him. He's promised my healing. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. We must pray with that expectant faith. It's been 22, 23 years now, but I'm praying that God will heal me one day. I don't know if it'll happen today. I don't know if it'll happen tomorrow. I don't know if it'll happen as I'm falling asleep tonight. God's given me little things here and there to tell me, hey, I've still got you in my hands, Trevor. I've not let go of you yet. My promise is still sure. Hallelujah. Clap your hands to the Lord, everybody. You see, thanksgiving is, is the motivation that keeps us praying. It's, it's the motivation, it's, it's the driver that keeps our expectations afloat. When, when you feel your expectations start to sink, to say, thank you, Lord. <laughs> thank you, Lord, and declare it to him. Hallelujah. I know you're going to do it, Lord. When a believer prays with thanksgiving, giving God the praise he is due in spite 
of the circumstances. He will give, he will be, he will give such peace that it will pass understanding. When we look up, as David did, we get our mind off of what's going on down around here and get our mind on God who gives that peace that passes understanding of what is happening down here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, church circumstances, they can be a real dagger. I know you know that. But when we, will, when we look up to the Lord, even though our circumstances may not change, we worship, we praise, and we do so in expectation. We do so with thanksgiving. You see, the opposite of anxiety is peace. The peace of God, as we read at the end of Philippians 4-7, keeps your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We can face any situation in life when we have the peace of God, when we keep our eyes on the keeper, <laughs> when we keep our eyes on the shepherd, while he stands at the gate of the sheepfold. As he, as he stands in the, at the gate and keeps guard. As you stand behind the shepherd and you're in the comfort of the sheepfold. He stands at the door and keeps guard so, so nothing can enter in. And they've got to get through him before they can get to you. Huh, can we just thank the Lord for his peace for a moment? Thank you for your peace that passes understanding, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for standing at the gate of this, this sheepfold that I'm in, oh God, for, for being my protector, for my provider. Hallelujah. And in moving forward to the next principle, we are to think. Paul writes in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise... Think on these things. Somebody say, we are what we think. How true of a statement that is. Would you believe me if I told you that your thoughts hold a lot of power? If your thoughts don't hold power, then why would Paul feel the need to write about that very thing? Why would Paul, why was Paul led to write in Romans 12 too, to be not conformed to this world? But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Why was Paul led to write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 10.5 to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ? Furthermore, why was Paul led to write Colossians, in Colossians 3.2 to set your affection on things above, not on things above? of the earth because again I say and so we just read proof that your thoughts your mind holds a lot of power if we dwell on the negative or sinful thoughts our thinking degenerates feelings of pride pessimism selfishness shame and destruction are are all of that that often tempt us to turn away or turn aside from God it's those, it's those feelings that make us feel like we're not good enough. That we, maybe God's not going to listen. But, but if we fill our minds with the holy and acceptable things of God, the very opposite happens. We begin to see and respond to the world as He does. In truth, in righteousness, and in alignment and accordance with His will. 
To think on these things gives way to meditating on these things, to meditate on them. And finally, moving on to the last principle, and that is to do. Paul says, after thinking on these things, to take these things you have learned and received and hear and seen in me, he says, do. Take action, accomplish, perform based on these things. Be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. When we do the truth we know, peace will follow. Showing kindness, ministering to others, and loving others are all commands from the word in which we gain peace when we obey them. From these five principles, and while it may go without saying, Paul not only wrote about them, but he lived them out. He lived through them. We find also that Paul lived these things out. He also suffered greatly. He describes his suffering in great detail in 2 Corinthians 11, beginning with verse 24. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches." But as you might have caught on already, he continued to live for God. And he continued to live for God and serve him faithfully. The man who just a few verses prior to writing about the torture that he endured said to learn from me. And he knew what he was talking about. He knew how to survive these life-threatening storms. He knew hunger and thirst. He knew what it felt like to be stoned to the point of death or very close up to it at that time. He knew what it felt like to be beaten on occasion. And when you read of what Paul went through, does it put a knot in your stomach like it does mine? When I look at all that Paul went through, you know, and we're not trying to play the comparison game, so please, but, but I have not suffered like Paul has. I've not suffered stripes on my back. There's been some things that I can relate to Paul about, but I haven't suffered these beatings and things like that. Recently, I, I was talking with a coworker about this, and Bishop, I shared this with you this morning, but he, the coworker told me that he was, he was doing some reading in his Bible, and you know, he started talking about persevering and how he just has to keep going. He's got to keep moving. Now, this coworker is not all the way there as far as belief in God is concerned. But guess what? He's looking to the right place. Hallelujah. After talking about that just a little bit, our conversation switched to the, to the likens of thinking about our lives in comparison to others. He would make a comment about his neighbor who has no arms or legs and how his neighbor still drives a vehicle. And still gets around and still does what he has to do. And then comparing that to his own life, followed by a, I guess I don't really have it that bad. 
And the same is true for everyone. And again, please, please don't, don't just go and compare yourselves among yourselves. We're, we're not to do that. But, but hear me when I say, because you, you should only measure yourselves up to Christ. And in measuring yourselves up to Christ, you know, through, through all that we read that Paul went through, he continued. You know, when, when, we, when we look to the Lord, you know, and going back to that comparison for just a moment, because sometimes we look at somebody else and say, man, they've really got it good. I wish I could be like them. I wish I could have that. But other times we find ourselves, oh, I'm not that bad. I don't have it that bad. But, you know, we, we shouldn't do that. But, but what I'm trying to get at is that, you know, we, we have these, we, these struggles. It's a thing called perspective. When you have a, a, a perspective on life and you think about, you know, what you've gone through and, and maybe one day you can help somebody else, you're not looking at somebody else like they're unhelpable, they're beyond help, but no, you, you experience these things in your life and I believe as a testimony as you go through them, as you live through them, as you come out on the other side so that you can help that person one day. All the while, thinking of yourself as Christ does, and, and measuring yourself up to him, you know. I, I'm, the, the, the Lord is not going to put me through things, but the Lord may allow these things to come my way because it's for a greater purpose. It's for a purpose that we, we may not see yet, and we may not ever see, but it's for the Lord. And, and, and in working for the Lord and serving him, we can help others understand. So, so when I heard these things come from this coworker who, who doesn't believe in the Lord, I was thinking, whoa, how timely this is. Through all of this, Paul continued. Through all of this, we must continue. And we can read here in Philippians that that which helped him keep his sanity and praying for the needs and praying with thanksgiving for, for thinking and finally doing and, to, and casting all his anxieties. There will always be problems. There will always be problems. But no one lying on their deathbed wishes they would have worried or panicked more. People often wish the opposite. They look back in hindsight and realize all of those situations worked out one way or another. And we can take comfort in that because not only do things work out, but we have a loving Lord who works all things for our good. Who works all things for our good. And what I would like to do for the remainder of our time together in talking about these life lessons from Paul regarding contentment. Remembering that these principles come from a life full of experiences. One can be quick to spout off Philippians 4.13 saying, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me without knowing or understanding what it takes to gain that strength. Paul was not a superhuman. The knowing and understanding from this verse is found in the preceding verses beginning with verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. 
Contentment was something that he learned. Doing all things through Christ was something that he learned. Strength was and still is something that one can merely attempt to get to, to go looking for elsewhere. They can try to find their strength elsewhere, but only that true strength can come from the Lord. That true strength can only come from Him. Receiving strength during those times that we read of Paul and in your times required or had some sort of, of prerequisite in the suffering, in being abased. In fact, Paul went without many times and lived to tell about it. He not only lived, but again, learned to be content. To be abased, which is to have nothing. To be without. And not to beat down the wall any more than we need to. But, but this is not only referencing the things that Paul had or did not have as a possession. Which meant fasting, doing less of the menial, focusing more on the Lord. To, to be abased, to, to get rid of those things. Giving up on this or that. You know, sometimes we may find it hard to admit that it's hard to go without. And I was just, I was just talking with, with somebody uh, last week about, about joy and how, how joy is not based on my emotion. The emotion of happiness can, can result from joy, but joy can be found in the midst of being abased. The Lord offers joy in the middle of suffering. We read in the book of James to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and the trying of your faith worketh patience. And then James goes on to write in verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, excuse me, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting what? Nothing. Wanting nothing. Finding contentment in every situation. In every situation, including the times of being abased, but also in those times where we, uh, where we abound. Abounding is the overflow. It is that which is beyond the expected measure. It is that which is more than enough, above and beyond. Abounding is that part that we, we may find it easy to be okay. I've got everything I need. I'm good to go. But one should, just not, one should not just put the Lord on the back burner in those times of abounding. In those times of plenty, because that is where the pride comes in saying, all right, I'm good now. Got it. That is where one begins to rely merely on what they can do without Christ, rather than keeping Christ at the central focus where he belongs. The times of the overflow will overflow into those times of lacking. And hear me, so the, I feel the Lord wanting to help you understand is this. That we should not take the times of abounding for granted. Yes, we should be thankful in those times, but not to take them for granted. But, but what we should do is realize that the overflow in those times of abound are going to help us through those times of lacking. Those times that we may feel abased. Those times that we may feel like we're at the bottom of the bottle. Sometimes you may find yourself on top of that mountain where, where nothing can bring you down until it does. And when it does, is your connection with God ju still just the same as it was on the way up that mountain that got you there? Is your faith just as strong as it was to get you there? Most people ex will experience both sides of life. Most people, I'll say all people, 
will experience the ups and the downs of life. The key to a joyful, Jesus-centered life is learning to find contentment in both the valleys of life, the mountaintops, and everywhere in between. Everywhere in between. And I would be remiss if I did not mention to you that godliness with cont- and contentment go hand in hand. Remember that one of the definitions of contentment is self-sufficiency, which is entirely God-produced. Paul writes to Timothy concerning this, for, and for context purposes, I want to read from the beginning of 1 Timothy 6. He says, Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine not, be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. And then he goes on to write about, If any man teaches otherwise, don't consent to him, uh, even in the words of our Lord Jesus and to the doctrine which is according to godliness and the person who does, that we're not to consent to is proud knowing nothing doting about questions and strifes of words wherefore whereof come envy strife railings and surmisings perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself for, but godliness with contentment is great gain you see godliness is likened unto the servant being under the yoke, counting their masters worthy of all honor. Godliness is likened unto, the, unto serving the master, not, t- not talking or thinking ill about them, which can be viewed as pride. It's not gained from the world, as we read, from envy, strife, perverse disputings, being proud, but that which is from God. Godliness comes with contentment to the point that you may think you have godliness, And you can take this for face value, but the question remains, are you content? Are you still thankful even in those times? Are you still seeking him even when you feel that he is silent? Are you still seeking him even when you feel like you have enough? You may think that you have this this trait of godliness and your actions will show it. And trust me when I say that when reading the verse, godliness with contentment is great gain, and meditating, and each time I think about it or or read about it, I have to take an account. I have to take a roll call, if you will, in my life. There are situations that have happened in my life where, where I've grumbled a little bit about it and wondered why. Not that asking God why is a bad thing, but my contentment was lacking. My belief was lacking. My faith was lacking. My trust in him was lacking. So here's what I want to leave you with this morning to bring our our first word to a close. Contentment is something that can be easy to have today, but very difficult to have tomorrow. It is something that can waver based on many things to which I will let you all fill in the blanks. If you find yourself struggling with contentment, whether that be finding it or keeping it, the Lord is desiring to restore that in you. He's desiring to restore contentment in you. You see, but this restoration, this restoration of contentment comes from you putting forth the work to get it. 
requires you putting forth the work to keep it. This restoration comes when you work to restore that contentment. You can ask God to bring to your mind that which he has brought you through. You can ask God to restore this contentment that you desire, and he will. But here we are, every day, every moment, with the choice of whether or not we desire to keep that contentment. You see, like I, like I just said a moment ago, I can wake up tomorrow morning and think about all the problems that I have. Anybody got problems? I can, I can dwell on those things. I can ruin my day. <laughs> or I can wake up and say, I know those things are there, Lord, but I thank you for taking care of those things. That's where the restoration is. The restoration is found when you thank him for taking care of those things. When you give the unseen to him who is able to see all, who's able to see you through it and, and will see you through it. Stand with me all over this place. I want us to pray as we, as we close out our first word here this morning. I want us to stand and, and, and pray. And pr you can pray where you are. You can, you can seek someone to pray with if you feel led to pray. But let us pray together. We are given a choice every day every hour, every moment, every thought to remain content, to be content, to, to have that desire to keep that contentment. God, restore to me this contentment that I've experienced, that I've had. Help me, Lord, to be content in every situation, looking to you as the author and the finisher of my faith. You are the one who restores my soul. You are the one who sees me through everything that I've gone through what I am going through, and what I will go through. And Lord, just as I talk today, I want to thank you for continuing to bring me through those things, oh God. Oh God, I thank you. Oh Lord, I thank you for what you've done for me, for where you've brought me from, for where I am at currently, troubles and all. And I thank you, Lord, for, for seeing me through that, for walking with me through my valleys that I may go through, through my mountaintops that I may climb over, and for being with me everywhere in between. Lord, I give you all the praise. I give you all the glory. And I give you all the thanks, Lord. I, I stand here today, a man that's been broken at times. I stand here today, a man that has been abounding at times. And I stand here today, Lord, with you through it all. Lord, help me, Lord. Remind me, oh Lord, of those times. Remind me, Lord. Remind me today. Remind me tomorrow. Remind me when I wake. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. God bless you all. We'll see you back here in 10 minutes for our worship service. Amen.